0: the Christ had been born in Bethlehem and from their status as outsiders, they praise God for what he does. And what we see is God work in amazing ways. And I want us to look at three challenges before we try to apply this to our lives briefly this morning. The first challenge is this. We're called, they were called to experience God's gift. Look at verses eight to 10. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. As this story opens, we find some shepherds. How many were there? We like to depict them as three, and the kings as three. I don't know why that is. It doesn't really matter how many there were, but they were out in fields near Bethlehem. Remember, Bethlehem is not a plain, it is a hilly area with lots of hills and valleys and caves and rocks and all those kind of things in that area. And, and these men were out there watching a nasty flock. That was their job. You remember, David was a shepherd, remember? He was what? The youngest of the boys. He got the dirtiest of the jobs. This is the job that nobody wanted, and yet these men were out there watching these filthy animals. And into this moment, the supernatural, the miraculous happens. An angel of the Lord Appears. Can you imagine with me what it might have felt like to be in this dark field with no lights, no sounds, and an angel shows up? Wow. To be surprised is an understatement, would you agree? To be afraid is probably a good description. I think most of us would have felt that way. In what was once darkness became light, what was once silence was now sound, and, and they were overcome with fear. Because why? They didn't really understand what was going on. How many of us are like that? We fear what we don't understand. And here they were. But it was not a moment to fear, but a moment what? To rejoice. And there was an announcement. Good news was there. What's the good news? You're scaring us to death. That's not the good news. The good news was something greater. It was miraculous, supernatural, life-altering. These regular, ordinary men are going to experience God's gift, amazing gift, of the promised Messiah. You see, even the lowest of the low in society knew who the promised Messiah was and what he would bring. They just didn't fully understand how it would happen. They were called to experience His gift. Second, they were called to embrace God's greatness. So we get a little more detail beginning in verse 11. He says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes or cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. I think our angel in the cast this morning was questionable. If you didn't know, that was my daughter. Okay. They all did a great job this morning, didn't they? But they are called to embrace this. Now, over in the city of David, Bethlehem, now imagine you're out here in the hills. If you've ever been to the hill country of Texas, you get a visual of what the region looked like. A lot of hills, a lot of rocks, a lot of uh, small trees. Uh, not a lot of woods, but they would have this area. And, and and just over the hill, probably, from where they were watching these sheep, the Christ is born. Now, the word Christ is synonymous with a word that's really important in Jewish understanding. It's the word Messiah. They understood when he heard that word, the Christ, they would have heard the word Messiah. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, we could also just as easily say Jesus Christ. Messiah, because that's who he is. He is the promised Messiah that has been promised to come for decades, for centuries, for millennia even. And and with Bethlehem being a small village, there weren't a whole lot of births at the local hospital that day. There might have been one in town, or two, or three. Yet the angel gives an indication of how to find him. He'll be lying in a manger, which was probably not wood, guys. It was probably stone, because wood was expensive, and, 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 and rare in that part of the world. So they would have used something that they had, just like we do. But he was there, and he was bound tightly, uh, being held closely. And imagine in the middle of the night, an angel shows up, and here's the news. The Messiah is there, just a few minutes walking from distance from where you are. The event, the event that God has promised for centuries has happened. How do you respond? What do you do? And the heavenly hosts shows up. Scholars disagree how many angels showed up. How many you had to have to have a crowd? Well, it depends on the context, I guess. But there was enough that they knew it was. And their song was very simple. Did you see their song? We could almost not sing it this morning, but here it is Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a long song was it! You could memorize that pretty quick. But it was packed with meaning. Did you catch the meanings there? There There's about three things there. The the, the one who's been born is not just another person, but he is the greatest of the great. He's amazing. He's also come to fulfill the prophecy to bring redemption. These people have heard about Messiah. They've heard about Messiah for centuries upon centuries. Their grandparents have talked about it. Their great-grandparents have talked about it. From decades back, centuries back, they've heard this story. He's coming. And here he is. And he's come... To bring peace. Now we like to put a period there in our context. We say, "Oh, when we when Jesus is he's, he brought us all peace." Read a little closer. He brought peace. He brought peace among those with whom he's pleased. He tried to bring. We try to read into the Christmas story some kind of world peace because Jesus came. We should have world peace. If you haven't been living uh, uh, not under a rock lately, you know that there's not been what world peace. Our world is anything but peaceful, and yet peace is available to who? Those of us who know Him, in regardless of the context. And then the third thing He calls them to experience or to see is they needed to explore God's glory. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Remember, they weren't the upstanding guys in society. They were the, the lowly. But Mary treasured up, in these, up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for what they'd seen and heard as had been told them. So, with the arrival of the angels in the night, an announcement of how they could find the promised Messiah, the shepherds are placed with the What's up, Doc? They're faced with a decision. Will we go see ourselves, or will we just go, well, that was kind of cool? What would they do? They decided we have to go to see. Imagine being in a valley with a whole bunch of sheep. How many sheep did they have? I don't know, a hundred, 50, 20. It didn't matter. They had sheep. They were in this area and they hear this story. They hear what's happened and they they were told where it is and they go, we got to go see that. Now, did they really leave all their sheep with nobody to watch them? We don't know. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter because some of them went to see what had happened. And they go over there and they find this and this. And and so they've heard it. it, it, Yeah. And they find Mary and they find the baby and they find Joseph and they, and they, we're not told, but they don't bow down to worship. Isn't that interesting? They went to see, And you think, why didn't they? I bet they, I bet they bowed down because that was Jesus. Maybe, maybe not. Remember they lived in a strict Jewish culture that said you don't worship anyone but God. Did they understand who he was? Did they understand the context? Did Mary know who he was? That's a great song this morning. Did she fully understand who he was? We don't know. We find out who he is through the scriptures, but what they did was powerful. They said, we've seen something special. We got to tell people. A couple weeks ago, I drove back in from Dallas and I got to my exit, which is highway Eight. And the gas station there was running gas at $1.95 a gallon. I pulled it there. For two reasons. One, it was a dollar ninety five a gallon, and I was on empty. It was a win win for me. They were running some dish special that night. I sent a text to a few pens and said, Hey, if you need gas, go out there and get some gas. It's cheap today. And it was a reputable store, so it wasn't like bad gas, kind of thing. But what is that about something special in life? We want to do what? We want to tell people. When we see something amazing, we want to talk about it. We want to share what's happened to us. And that's what these guys did. They said, we've got to go tell somebody. We've got to talk about it. And when they talked about it, people looked at them and go, you, you, you okay? But some heard him and received his truth. And then we see a brief moment about Mary treasuring all these and we see the shepherds depart. So what do we do with this story? You know, I was talking with somebody this week. I've been serving churches since I was, um, I started saying knee-high to a grasshopper. That's not true. I was never knee-high to a grasshopper. Anyway, um, about 21. So how many times have I spoken and preached on the Christmas story? I kind of have lost cr- count at this time. And that doesn't mean it's not important and it's not valuable to me because it is but I try to look at it fresh every year like I have never read it before because I want to do what's best, what I can do best for the congregation I've been called to, to try to, to speak to on a regular basis. And I came up with three come and sees. So my call to you this Christmas season is come and see. Come and see. Come and see your real blessing. What's your real blessing? You know, tomorrow morning or tonight or tomorrow afternoon or Tuesday of next week when your family finally gets together and you open presents, you're going to look at all this stuff and go, oh, we got this and this and this. And I would challenge you to realize that in six months, you will have forgotten 90% of what you got. Why is that? Because it's stuff. Is it a blessing? Yes. Yes. Do we get stuff for our, our our children, for our parents, for our spouses? Yes. We want to bless them. But I want you to see the real blessing. What the shepherds discovered in this is they had an offer of new life. It, because Jesus came for one primary purpose. Why did he come? To be a baby in a manger? That's just part of the story, friends. He came to bring new life to those who would trust him. He came to seek and save who? The lost. Aren't you glad? That he did that. There's a couple things we have to do to get that, though. I want you to grasp this. The first one is this. We have to come to the place where we actually acknowledge our need. Have you ever noticed that you don't ever reach out to get something until you what? Most likely need it. I pulled off the freeway that evening. I knew before the weekend was over I had a need. Right? You can only go so far when the light comes on, Heather. You can only go so far when the light comes on. Before you get to a place where you what? You don't go anymore. you got to acknowledge the need. That's the same thing for us. My light had come on on the way from Mount Pleasant that night. I had a need. What did I have to do? Get gas. And now... We have to come to the place in our lives where we understand that we have a need for a Savior. We have a need for forgiveness. We have a need for something greater in our lives. we, we, we got to come to the place where we finally say, I'm not going to trust in my heritage. I'm not going to trust my traditions. I'm not going to trust my works. I'm not going to trust my national identity. I'm not going to tr- trust in my church membership, but I'm going to trust in Jesus alone because that's where our real blessing comes from. That's our blessing. And what these shepherds got to see firsthand was the blessing of God fulfilling His prophecy of the Messiah coming who would bring new life for those who would receive Him. And that leads me to the second thought related to this blessing. Not only do we have to recognize and acknowledge our need but we also have to be what? We, will, we have to be willing to receive it. Go back to the gas station with me. Can you imagine? I pulled up. I looked at the pump and I said, hmm, that's Interesting. And then got back in my car and drove off. That'd be nuts, wouldn't it? Especially with the light already on. It's the same thing with our spiritual lives, friends. We have to come to the place where we not only realize we have a need, but we have to be willing to what? Accept the help that we need, which is Christ. We have to set aside our pride. We have to call out to Christ for forgiveness. And for us to truly experience the blessings that God has for us, we have to turn away from our sin and turn to Jesus, this promised Messiah. For until we actually lay our lives down at the feet of our Messiah, Jesus, we don't receive his blessing. We don't have his new life. We don't have his work in our lives. We may be nice people. We may be moral people. We may even be what people would consider good people. But until we are saved people, until we have met the Savior, we're in trouble. I'm reminded of a guy named Saul. Y'all probably remember Saul. Not that Saul, the other Saul. You know, there's two in the Bible. Not King Saul, but the other Saul. You remember him? He was a very religious fellow. From my studies, I'm convinced he was on the track to become maybe the high priest at some point in his life because of the way things were done in his time. He believed the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures. He knew a lot of things about it. He says, I'm in the right direction. In fact, I'm so right about my direction, I'm going to make sure other people follow that same direction. Remember where he went? He said, I'm going to go to Damascus. Which is in Syria today, and I want to take those folks who think they are following some this false Messiah, and I want to drag them back to Jerusalem for punishment. And you remember what happened in his life? As he neared Damascus, a light shined, and he hears a voice. Whoa, Bible's full of these stories, aren't they? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? On this road he met Jesus. Does that mean his life was going to be easy from that point forward? If you read his letters, you find out what? Anything but easy. He had lots of struggles, lots of hardship. And toward the but he had found a new life, he had found salvation. And toward the end of his life, he wrote some words to a church at Philippi where he said this for me to live is Christ. The essence of life to him is Christ. And to die is gain. Wow. He said, my life is filled with the presence of God. I've been following him now these many years. And if he'll leave me here, I'll keep on living. And his life, my life is him. But if he decides to take me home, it's a win. This is what we call a win-win. win win A life now and a life after. He says, I've got it. See, he came to the place where he understood all the good things that happened in his life, including the persecution he faced in his life, came as a result of following Jesus. He said, that's life. But he also knew that the day would come when his life would be over and he would enter eternity and his life would not be over, but it would continue. And he had nothing to fear. You know, that should be our experience too, if we're following Jesus. We live with his blessing and we see the good days as his blessing. And get this, guys, we see the bad days as his blessing too. Because he's going to bring something in our lives through that. And our perspective changes. Second, come and see. I want you to come and see your true worth. What are you worth? Scientists say we're a whole bunch of chemicals and we're worth about a dollar and a half. But that's probably for inflation. Maybe we're worth five bucks now. that's not what I'm talking about. You know, our days we hear a lot about self-worth. You need to have self-image. You need to have a positive self-image, self-esteem. You need to speak highly of yourself. And there's a place for that in our lives that we need to see ourselves as having worth. But followers of Jesus, ultimately, we discover our true worth is not what we can do, not what we have, where we can go, but in the one who redeemed us. My worth is found in Jesus. My worth is not in who I say I am. My worth is not in who you say I am, but who Jesus says I am. Who does Jesus say I am? He says, you're a follower of me, graciously redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Can I tell you something? I really struggle with seeing that sometimes in my life. I tend to see myself as worthless, useless, nobody. Nobody. But when I begin to see how Jesus looks at me, my life is changed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's a great song. We won't sing it for two reasons. One time and the other is I don't sing real well. well. Will will. I just feel like I will well when I sing. Anyway, in Matthew's Gospel, we do a little episode about, you remember uh, James and John, those two disciples? And their mama comes to Jesus, you remember that little incident? It's kind of an interesting little story and they they they're, they're two of the twelve, and mama comes to Jesus and says, "Hey Jesus, will you do a special deal for my boys?" That's probably an East Texas paraphrase, but anyway, you get the idea. She wanted her boys to get the right hand seat and the left hand seat of Jesus to be in power, to be somebody, to be established above everybody else. In response to that, Jesus called them to Himself and said, in verse twenty-five of Matthew twenty, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you." He's talking to his disciples, by the way. Uh, hopefully, that's most of us in the room, right? But whoever would be great among you must be your—the Greek word is diakonos, servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your doulos, which is translated slave. That's a motion-charged word in our culture that we have struggle understanding. But he's not talking about chattel slavery in the South. He's talking about a submitted life. And he's telling them and us by extension, while the world looks for meaning and purpose in life by gaining the upper hand to get ahead to win, the path to finding one's true worth is by becoming a servant submitted to the commands of the Master. Our true worth in Jesus is found when we submit to Him, not just in some areas of our life, but where in everything. How do you do that? It's kind of a foreign concept to most of us because we like to think of ourselves as the master of our own destiny. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. Here's my thought on this issue. Here's what I believe we need to do. Here's what I, I got to tell you. I'm not sure that those phrases are really even important to a follower of Jesus because there's a whole lot of I in those statements. I want this. I think this. I want to do this. Can I tell you something? It doesn't really matter what I want. Why? Because I'm supposed to be a diakonos and I'm supposed to be a doulos of the master, a loving, compassionate, caring master named Jesus. Whatever you want is what I want. How do you you find that, though, you might ask? I think it's just two simple pathways. And we're fortunate in our culture that we have one of them printed in all the different translations and in all kinds of digital versions and stuff is to get in His Word. Most of what we're supposed to do and be as children of God is found right here. Why do you think it's important to spend time in God's Word on a regular basis? Because it's a ritual trying to learn, earn our salvation. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do in getting to hear the voice of God. Let Him speak to us on a regular basis. Let the Holy Spirit who dwells within us affirm the words in our lives. We say, ah, that's, oh, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Oh, I'm supposed to be doing this. And to understand who He is. And the other is having a conversation on a regular basis with the Father. You know, for years, I grew up in a very, for years, I, I grew up in a very conservative, some would even call fundamental church. And I love that church and it has a lot of meaning in my life. But there was a lot of rule and ritual that went with it, that you need to spend so many minutes in prayer, so many minutes in Bible study. And you gotta, it was like, it was like a, a checklist. And I've come to a place where I'm, I'm really convinced that, that prayer is much less about a moment that we set aside every day, though I think it's important we do that. And it's more about an ongoing conversation with God. Where we maybe just breathe a prayer for a moment. God, show me what I need to do here. God, lead me in this moment. God, I praise you for the blessing of this. We make it so formal that we miss the joy of it. How can I serve in this moment? How can I be your slave in this moment? How can I honor you in these steps? Because it's there we discover our true worth and the kingdom's greater picture. And then one more, come and see. Come and see your amazing eternity. That almost rhymes. There's a principle I want you to see from this story, and it's centered on what we gain as we follow the promised Messiah. And it's this. We find an eternity worth having, but we also find this, a life in the here and now worth living. You know, so often in evangelical Christian circles, and we are, we are them, by the way, we love to focus on the moment of conversion, the moment of salvation, and getting saved. That's the way we phrase it. And that needs to happen. Don't misunderstand. Because without a beginning point, there is no pathway forward. But we need to also grasp this idea that we are eternal beings. I'm not going to pretend to understand this concept fully, although I've wrestled with it. When we were conceived... And hear me say the word conceived in our mother's womb. In that moment, something supernatural happened. And a soul was created that lives forever. Forever. See, in Christian thought, there is no place for the idea that at the end of life we just gone. It's over. That's not Christian thought. That's not biblical belief. In biblical understanding, you and I have, are now eternal beings. We're going to live forever. We may not live in this plane forever and in this body forever, but we, the essence of who we are, goes on. And the question is, will you experience it as separated from God? Or will you experience it as, as an intimate walk with God for eternity? See, Just like the shepherds had to choose, will we go and see, or will we not go and see? We're faced with a similar choice. Will we go and see who Jesus really is? Or will we live our lives as we are somehow in charge of it all? And everyone has to bend to my will. Over in John's gospel account, he tells them of a moment when Jesus was at Jerusalem. You may remember this story. And Jews, the Jews were begging him, say, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? And Jesus says, well, yeah, I am, in his mind. He knew who he was. But he didn't answer them that way. He gave the plainest answer he could at the moment. He told them this. He said, my sheep, sheep. My sheep hear my voice. If if you're following the story, Jesus called us those filthy, disgusting animals out in the pasture. You like that? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they do what? They follow me. I gave them eternal life. And he's talking about eternal life with God. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It seems the clearest evidence one is actually following Jesus is this. We hear his voice and we do what he asks us to do. It's not based on our possessions. It's not based on our relationships. It's not based on our marital successes or not successes. It's not based on how many children we have or grandchildren we have or don't have any of those things. It's not based on any of that stuff that we like to say, well, i got to have this or I'm not. i got to do this or I'm not. i got to be this or I'm not. No, it's based on a life that says, I trust you as my Savior and I'm going to listen to your voice. It's based on how we relate to Jesus, the promised Messiah, born that night in Bethlehem. And once we hear his voice and choose to follow him, we gain a blessed assurance of eternal life instead of eternal death. And many of us struggle with the idea of death. I've got to tell you, I'm not looking forward to it because I think it'll hurt. I don't think it's going to be pleasant. It could also happen very fast and not even know. I understand that. There's one thing I don't struggle with is the place I'll be the moment after the last breath here. What will it look like? I got no idea. And it really doesn't matter. Because one will be there in that moment named Jesus. A baby who's born in Bethlehem who died on a cross for me, who rose from the dead the third day to make new life possible for any who would trust him. And so my call to you this morning, this Christmas Eve, we've already seen two baptisms this morning. I thought that was just a great day. It'll be easy to remember, won't it? It'll be easy to remember that salvation moment, that trusting Christ moment, that stand moment. Maybe you need to make that stand today. Maybe you've never stepped out and said, I'm following Jesus. This may seem like an odd Christmas Eve message to you, but I think it's the whole essence of the story. Have you trusted him? Are you following him? Do you hear his voice? And do you do what he tells you to do? Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together this morning to worship, to be in your presence, to sing songs, to pray, to look at your word, to, Father, think about these really social, almost outcasts who got to hear the news. Just over the hill, the Messiah has been born. And, Father, I pray for those in this room who need to make some type of decision. Father, whether it's to come professing Christ as Savior for the very first time, whether it's to make a decision that says, I'm going to commit my life to this church because I already trust Christ. Or maybe it's just to come to an altar and pray for a moment and say, God, as the new year comes, I pray that you'll help me to live a life closer to you, more in tune with you and listening to your voice. We pray your hand on these next few moments in Jesus' name.